Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show that looks at old television to figure out where everybody went wrong and why all of your grandparents' brains are broken and why, just why we are what we are these days. But, but why? Just just stares into the void and just asks, why? Why? <laughs> why did we do this? And we do this through the magic of black and white television, namely The Andy Griffith Show. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Marty Schneider. I'm the other host. I'm Dan Ludwig. Ha- no, not many shows would be would have the confidence to say we're going to solve the mysteries of the universe <laughs> up top. We're fucking gonna. <laughs> we're going to watch this black and white TV show until we solve the fundamental questions. Oh, uh, yeah, so... Uh, Suck a dick, Kant. <laughs> fucking 99% Invisible doesn't do that shit. Yeah. No, 99 we, – we're going to, like, just swoop past them. Everyone's, like, 99% of visual. They're going to take it past the finish line. They're going to solve the mysteries of the universe. Boom. Breaking Mayberry blasts past them by watching old television. <laughs> Watch us. Eat it, Sarah Koenig. <laughs> yeah. What is Sarah Koenig doing? We're just we're, – we're, Sarah, Sarah Koenig is solving criminal justice in Baltimore right now. She went very small scale. Uh, I, all right, I gotta say, I didn't step into the studio today expecting to, like, start shit with the other podcasts, the biggest podcast in the world, but, uh, you know, that's just how things go here at Breaking Library. Yeah. How you doing, buddy? What's up? Uh, I'm doing good. If I, if I'm coming across as slightly hostile, it's because, uh, I've started job hunting this week, because I'm about to become unemployed as shit. Uh, it's not going great. Um... Do you list Breaking Mayberry on your resume? I'm listing Breaking Mayberry on my LinkedIn profile (laughs) because I was like looking at my LinkedIn profile. I was like, Jesus Christ, I've never done anything in my entire life. I'm about to list my fucking podcast. It's it's one of – you know, it's a bummer. It's one of the more impressive things on my LinkedIn profile. What what do you have written down? I walk into a room and talk and then Marty turns it into a podcast. Puts us (laughs) – actually, yeah, that's accurate. Uh, Puts a humorous spin on on political analysis of classic TV and just bullshit. Whatever. Nothing funny. (laughs) Nothing – my LinkedIn profile could not be less funny. (laughs) No one's LinkedIn profile is funny. Yeah. So so, what what happened to you this week? Uh – so I got targeted by so – I've been job hunting for less than a month and I got targeted by not my first but my second direct marketing scam. Uh, they are like looking at me and I thought I would be less of a – like a prime candidate for direct marketing scams. But they're looking at me and like this guy's good to fucking go. Let's get him. Uh, and I so I used to be an administrative assistant. Or I used to be like in the administrative assistant territory and in between jobs, you just accept like whatever. Sure. You're just like they, – because they, they – I would get like got by these all the time. I would show up to job interviews and they the job would be like operations boy, uh, administrative job haver, employment. And I would show up and they'd be like, you work for commission. You're going to give you a clipboard, bus you out to the suburbs. 
you're going to try to convince people to switch to Verizon. <laughs> and then I would, like, walk out. And now I thought, like, it's, like, eight years later. I have, like, an actual job now. And I was like, I'm going to – this won't be an issue. Like, if I if I go to an interview, it's going to be a real job. And now uh, I, I didn't know that this was a development that happened while I was employed. Now they just lie. Because it used to be like, the, like technically, if you twist the words, this could be a direct marketing scam. And now it's just like, come on in for our social media coordinator job. Oh, by that job does not exist. Oh, yeah. That happened to me, too. Yeah. They just lie now. Yeah, I didn't know they do that. Mine was like an operations manager or something like that. And uh, I walked into their co-working space. Not a cool co-working space mm. like the one we, we work at. But I walked into there and they were like... So we send people to Home Depots to, like, oh. look like Home Depot employees, but they're just there to sell our clients' products. Oh. So we're, like, like Home Depot vendors. And I was like, that seems deeply immoral. Violently illegal. Super illegal. And also not at all what I do. Yeah. So no. good day, sir. There was – so the worst one that I had – it was this was the first one uh, – I they called me and they were like, we need a social media coordinator. The job is way out in the suburbs in a plaza. And I was like, plaza means office park. Sure. Suburbs means suburban office park. That means real position. Uh, and when I when I was like looking at it, it they like when I talked to them over the phone, they're like, we're Philly uh, ish Philly blank co. Uh, I'm not going to say like the full name because sure. I don't want to get sued or whatever. Uh, we're Philly Blank Co. And I was like, okay, that, that's they're just saying that it's shorthand for Philadelphia Blank Co. And then, like, as I was on the train up, I was like, oh, no, their legal name as a company is Philly Blank Co. Fuck, this is going to be a direct marketing scam. And then I get there, and the plaza is a strip mall. And the company is not even one of the main places in a strip mall. It is behind – it's not behind a nail salon – it's behind the bridge club that's behind the nail salon. Uh, and I get there and I'm like, this is a 100% chance this is a direct marketing scheme. There's an old man playing video poker in the corner. There was – I literally walked past just like seven tables of geriatrics just playing bridge very slowly. And I This was like, sounds like the like a side plot on Better Call Saul. Th- it is – if. If you if the Cohen brothers had walked out and been like, "Congratulations, we're making a movie about a reason someone should kill themselves," I'd be like, "Yeah, that <laughs> that makes sense. That's, that tracks." Yeah, and then I did a group interview with a boy that had just graduated high school. Uh, apparently, we were interviewing for the same job, which was demoralizing. I'd ask like over the phone. I was like, "I have to check: is this job paid on commission?" Because that's like a huge red flag. And they were like, "No." And then I got there. They're like. So we do pay a salary, but we pay a salary on our patented revenue sharing model. <laughs> so, like, you share the revenue with us. And I was like, okay, then you invented salary. Uh, and then I walked out of that one and I got, like, targeted for another one this week. And it was just sort of like just a specter of just how boned I am. Uh, uh, I, I'm glad that you brought up, like – the strip mall and the definition of an office and uh, what the definition of a building actually is, because that is a key part 
of today's episodes. Yeah. So, you know, the Zoning Commission is, podcast is about to begin. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, let's get into some fucking land politics. Yeah, but before we before we get into that, uh, remember that Saturday, July 20th, Dan and I are doing our shtick live uh, at Indie Hall at 399 Market Street uh, in Philadelphia as part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. Mm-hmm. We have the early slot, 11 a.m., so we're bringing on some pancakes and podcasts at part of a brunch event so you can listen to us. Uh, and then right after us is the Mission Story Slam podcast, so they're going to be great. Story Slam fucking rules. Yeah. I will I will throw down, it's better than the moth any day of the week. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Kicks the moth's so, ass. But also, you can find all that detail uh, at phillypodfest.com. Please come check us out if you're in Philadelphia, July 20th, 11 a.m., uh, Indie Hall. Yeah. Come check us out and see all of our other buddies uh, on, on different shows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. So we got that going. So let's go with today's episodes. Uh, starting out with Merchant of Mayberry. Yeah, all right. So we're starting on Merchant of Mayberry, which is season two, episode twenty-two. These episodes, these seasons are so long, so fucking long. You could, I mean, because back then you could just like crank out TV on a fucking conveyor sure, belt. Sure. So this is The Merchant of Mayberry, originally airs March 5th, 1962, written by Leo Solomon and Ben Gershman. So (laughs) we get a little break from Ellison Stewart. And, of course, directed by Three Wolves Howling at the Moon t-shirt, men's extra large, Bob Sweeney. The most spherical man in all of Long Island, Bob Sweeney. (laughs) Uh, And here is your one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. Andy helps a struggling traveling salesman, played by Sterling Holloway, stay in business against the wishes of crusty store owner Ben Weaver, Will Wright. That's right. Ben Weaver's back. Ben Weaver's back, baby, for the first and last time. Are you shitting me? This is the last Weaver? Well, it's the last version of this Weaver, because Will Wright actually dies. Yeah. The actor who plays him dies a couple months later. I was was watching this, and I was like, man, I don't know how they're going to keep him alive for the remainder of the show. Yeah, there's there's another Weaver that shows up later in the series, I think in season four, but I think we pretty much have to assume that he's uh, Ben Weaver Jr., because he's much younger. What if... uh... Ben Weaver dies like every two seasons and they have to keep getting new Ben Weavers. After a certain point, he's like the doctor. Just keep rotating out Ben. (laughs) You just have to assume that he's regenerating in his general (laughs) store. Uh, So, yeah, so Will Wright dies in this. So uh, we're not going to do a funeral for him like we did the mayor because fuck this guy. He's not the mayor. Yeah. Yeah. No one ever is getting a funeral on this show other than it would cheapen the mayor. (laughs) Like, all right. If Andy got shot in the face halfway through this show, we wouldn't do a funeral for him. You know why? He's not the fucking mayor. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh want to point out our special guest star on this, quote-unquote special guest star, uh, character actor Sterling Holloway. So when we talk about this man, you already know what voice to put him in. Because most famously, he was the voice of Winnie the Pooh. <gasps> That's who it is! It's the voice of Winnie the Pooh from the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh and all the 1960s Winnie the Pooh cartoons. I've been trying to figure – I watched this like twice today and the entire time I was like, I need to make fun of this motherfucker. What does – his voice is high-pitched and shrill like something. It's killing me. He doesn't even try not to do his Winnie the Pooh voice. He's just like, mm, I would like a smackerel of honey. Is it – is that just his normal voice? Did they, like, I thought he was doing a voice on Winnie the Pooh, but that's just what this motherfucker sounds like? That's just his deal. That's what he sounds like. Was uh, he hitting the neck with something? Like, was it like, when I was a little boy, I was hitting the neck with a hula hoop? 
Yeah, so actually, uh, interesting bit of trivia is that he played Winnie the Pooh up until about 1981. Uh, and then in 1988, uh, Jim Cummings took over the role. And Jim Cummings has been doing it you know, ever since because he yeah. does all those voices. But for those seven years in between there, Winnie the Pooh was portrayed by Hal Smith, who plays Otis. Yeah. So Wait, what? Yeah, Otis took over. Yeah. And, and so... Uh, so the second Andy Griffith connection there. So Otis was also Winnie the Pooh for about seven years. I feel like back then there were just like 30 dudes that just did everything. Oh, so you just, just every slotted voice. them in and out. Like if you just like looked up like uh, Floyd, the guy that plays Floyd's filmography, it would just be like all of it. He, he <laughs> all of did, the movies. He wrote 16 movies. He acted in most TV shows. He was everywhere. There We didn't have many guys. Uh, uh all right, so let's let's get into uh, today's episode. So the episode opens up with Andy and Aunt B walking into a store, and they find Barney asleep on the bench outside of the store. Yeah, and uh, he's taking a nap, and then Andy says that he's gonna pull a prank on him. So he asks Aunt B for her lipstick. All Andy does humor wise in this show at this point is pranks. Andy's just turning into like prank guy. He's Ashton Kutcher. He's, he's like, yeah, he's or he's the kid from uh, Stranger Things in his upcoming Netflix oh, can we show. Talk about, getting... Let's go and talk about what a piece of shit that kid is. That, no, 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 that I mean, kid. not the kid. He doesn't know what's going on, no, but the producers. I feel like there's going to be a big reveal that that kid's agent has like sworn revenge on him. He was like, your, your father killed my father and I set out to ruin your life. So I became your agent. And then I booked you in those Verizon commercials that made everyone hate you. And then I booked you on this show. If you don't know what we're talking about, the uh, the kid from uh, Stranger Things, Galen Matarazzo. That is impressive that you remember that name. I think is his name. Uh, he has an upcoming prank show on Netflix uh, where the victims of his prank are people who think that they're showing up for the first day of a new job. Yeah. So the worst idea anyone's ever had. Yeah, yeah. You you know who needs to be taken down a peg? The unemployed. <laughs> By a fucking Stranger Things kid. By a rich child. Yeah. It's – they're going to take the cutest little boy on a TV show in like the last like 10 years and they're going to, against almost every expectation you have, make us hate his fucking guts within like less than three years. <laughs> like if you showed me Dustin when Stranger Things came out and we're like, you're going to hate that fucking kid soon. I'd be like, how? How could – Anyone make that happen? I, you know what? No, I, I would buy that. You know why? Because if you point at any like twelve year old boy that is like adorable and you know, it's like, no. like, I'm gonna be like, oh well, I'm gonna hate him soon because he's gonna be seventeen. Yeah, and, and I'm gonna hate his ass. You're literally your only job in like Hollywood when there's a child star is to just like put a protective shield around him when he's sixteen and just like keep him in quarantine until he becomes like. A functional adult. Until he becomes an Academy Award winning director. Exactly. No. Yeah. Bringing it back. Ron Howard. <laughs> no. Andy's going to prank Barney. Andy's going to prank Barney. And he does this by borrowing some of Aunt B's lipstick uh, and putting the lipstick on Barney's finger, like rubbing mm-hmm. him on his sleeves and then tickling him with like a piece of straw or something, like a feather or whatever, so that Barney rubs the lipstick on his face. Yeah. Uh, and then he wakes Barney up and says, hey, Barney. Check that out. I think Joe's parking close to that fire hydrant. You want to go go tell Joe to you know to move his truck, and Barney does so with lipstick smeared all over his face. Um, I I like that they they kind of figured something out at the tail end of season two that 
Like, before, it was, like, always a different person that didn't take Barney seriously. And now they just got one just guy. Just one guy. <laughs> it's the same guy who, like, pulled up in the truck to make fun of him last episode, Every, too. The last, like, three times. He's also the guy that when Barney tried to give him a ticket was like, fuck you. There's just one dude that does not respect Barney's authority. And it's just his entire job. To, he's just Nelson from The Simpsons, but he, for Barney. He literally just drives in on his truck, says, fuck you, Barney Five. <laughs> And then drives away. You have no authority over me. I don't respect you as a man or a person. And then just bounces out of town. Just leaves. He just like wakes up every single day and be like, I got to find a way to fuck with this chinless bitch. So that's Joe, everybody. That's a wrap on Joe. Yeah. Wait, no, Joe doesn't come. No, no Joe's no, Joe, Joe's, Joe's going to be recurring. Joe's going to be forever. Yeah. Uh and you actually made me afraid for a second. I was like, no, I just got this. You can't take this away. Barney goes up and he says, hey, Joe, uh, why don't you move your truck? And Joe just goes, yeah, buddy, sure. <laughs> and then he blows Barney a big old kiss. Like, hey, Barney. Mwah! Joe's not, uh, you know what? Joe's not homophobic either. Joe will pretend to kiss another man because he has lipstick on. Joe, Joe, Joe's cool. I like Joe. So far, Joe has like. Blown Barney a kiss and also offered him to come over to his house to play jacks. Joe, Joe, for the sake of uh, making fun of Barney, Joe will just go there. You think he's doing like a Bugs Bunny thing, or or is this flirting? It might be flirting. Oh, it could it, be. It could be both. It could be like you know, in second grade when you when a boy likes you and he's mean to you, and you know, for that. Joe's mockery of Barney is always vaguely romantic, right? Because he did. He was like, "Hey, come over to my house," oh. you know. Joe. 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 Reach out and tell him how you feel. Actually, don't do that. Do not do that. Do not, It is North Carolina and it is Barney Fife. Joe, you can do better. And also maybe – I don't know. It's Joe, the 60s. Joe, Joe please maybe move. I don't know, bud. Uh, uh, Joe. Joe, Joe Waters, by the way, is this guy – is his name. Character uh, – actor's name is Bob McQuain. Bob McQuain. Fucking <laughs> – the side character in uh, in the French Connection. We're going to. He's going to be at least through a couple of episodes of season three. Hell so. yes. Uh, uh, okay, where were we? God, so, we have not gotten through this this episode at all. Okay. I told you it's going to be a long one. Buckle up. Barney realizes that there's lipstick on him. He says the line, "Ah, oh, you're real funny. Why don't we go to?" Uh, I'm, I'm going to, like, start trying to have an actual Barney Fife impression. Great Mickey Mouse. <sighs> yeah. I, it just gets, like, more and more high-pitched. So I'm, I'm going to bail out on this. Why don't we go to the old folks' home and wax the steps? Like, yeah. That's, like, his thing. Whenever Andy does a prank, he yells something. But they're never jokes. They're just like, like, oh, you're you're real funny, aren't you? Why don't you go be a comedian? Oh, you're real funny? I bet there's a circus in town. Oh, you're real funny? Why don't you go be funny, you dick? <laughs> like. They're never fully written jokes. So enter character actor Sterling Holloway. Uh, wearing I fucking hate in this episode. I love this guy. Are you kidding I me? I love him. Okay. So he is like the seventh character on this fucking show whose entire bit is like, I'm a little scatterbrained. I'm, a, I'm not I'm, – I'm a little weird. I, uh, I'm, I'm a little sputtery and uh, I'm nervous. I'm a very nervous character. Also, the entire time – Winnie the Pooh voice. I'm a very nervous character. And also, I have what appears to be the world's worst toupee on. He's also just, like, one of the many characters who just show up and like, Hello, my entire characterization is that I'm bad at my job. He is. I'm just horrible at my job. But there's been shitty salesman characters on this show before. Uh, 
And their whole deal is just like, I'm not going to try very hard to get a sale. And his whole thing is like, do you will not buy from me. I swear to God, I will die before I sell you this fucking scarf. He aggressively tries to talk people out of buying from him. He yes. he puts his body in the way of merchandise. They're like, at one point in this scene, Andy and Barney are like, we want to see what's in the trunk. And he sits on the trunk and he's like, no, you don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to let you see what I'm selling. Yeah. He's got a weird thing going. It's, it's, it's a weird pathological thing. But anyway, that that's Bert in a nutshell. Bert is a sad man in a weird little suit and a, a adorable little knit tie that isn't tied correctly. Mm-hmm. And he's complaining about being a door to a salesman. He complains about his bursitis and he complains about how he doesn't like the uh, – His feet hurt. His and feet he... hurt. He doesn't like being a salesman and he's not good at being a salesman. So I don't know why this entire episode is dedicated to helping him sell, sell stuff. Well, he says that he hates the sound of doorbells. He can't hear a doorbell ever again or he's going to lose his fucking mind. Uh, so that's sort of a prompt for what happens uh, in this episode. So he sits down and Andy and Barney have to almost fight him to get into his suitcase because Andy's like, I need razor blades. Would you want to sell me some razor blades? He was like, I will shave you. I will will fucking shave you clean, Andy Griffith. Do not buy (laughs) razor blades from me. He actually offers to give him a couple of dollars to go over to Floyd's for a shave. Yeah. He's like, no, I will pay you to not buy from me. Please, God, don't buy from me. Please, you're hurting me. And, uh, And they have to like physically pull him off of his suitcase and then give him money for razor blades. And then Andy's like, I want some socks. He was like, you have plenty of socks, you piece of shit. You probably – you have a house. You're telling me there's no socks in that house. What are you wearing right now? What do you got on your feet? It's socks. You're fine. Do not buy this from me. Uh, and he keeps he, – he like refuses to specify what's in the, the chest. He's tre- he's truly treating this this suitcase of his like it's the briefcase from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. He's like, what's in the, what's in the suitcase? Oh, this and that and – that and this and this and the other thing and baubles that no human could ever possibly want. Yeah, and uh, I should point out, like this whole this is like a proto Kevin Smith thing because mm-hmm. they literally just put the camera on and just stay in this frame for four minutes. Yeah, this scene goes on and it's just dialogue forever. At what point they're very clearly improving while Andy Griffith, the actor, is having trouble opening up the suitcase, uh, like. <laughs> Bob Sweeney knows you can yell cut, right? Bob Sweeney knows that you can just do this again. Bob, uh, I mean, it, it, adds, it adds texture. And also, if they have to film it a second time, they might be late for a happy hour. Yeah. And also, it, it no one cares. It's, it's 1962. Yeah. Uh, and so we get through this scene that pretty much just introduces the character of Bert over and over and over again. Uh, uh, there's a there's a joke here that I don't get. Like, yeah, it's a super weird joke. So Aunt B rolls up and she's buying stuff. She buys an apron. Yeah. And then Andy makes her buy socks too. Yeah. And then Barney says, well, what, what does she want with socks? And Andy says, well, she's got some real long garters. Which I don't totally know how garters work. I don't know what that means. Honest. I feel like. Maybe for uh, do you do you, I don't know what a garter is. I'm gonna, if I'm going to be totally honest, it's, with it's a type of stocking it, with like a little attachment so they don't fall down. Yeah, I'm not going to stand here in front of you and pretend like I know what I know anything about garters. So maybe this joke was fucking hilarious. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Also, the thing I really liked was Ampy rolls up and she's like, "Bert, haven't been at the house in a while." And then when Ampy leaves, she's like, "Hey, 
Come by the house sometime. So it be clearly fucked Bert. Oh, clearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what, one, he does. That's what one, she does. 100%. She's like, Bert, where you been? Haven't come by the house in a minute. Haven't, haven't come by for a sales call. Bert, Bert yeah. you up? <laughs> yeah. Bert, like, she just, like, draws an eggplant on a piece of paper and whips it at his head. But, yeah, she leaves and she's like, Bert. Come see me sometime, and yeah, then bounces. Come on over here, because MB, as we've uh, as we've established, is constantly trying to get it in. Yeah, MB bails, but enter Ben Weaver, who like storms up because yeah. uh, basically this entire time he's just been like sitting down selling shit. Right. Yeah. So uh, sitting down, being forced to sell shit. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's that's the scene. They're all on a bench. They're sitting there. There's a, a briefcase or a suitcase full of wares that they are convincing uh, Bert to sell, and Ben Weaver runs up. And he's basically like, Rassin' Frassin', you can't do this. Sure. I uh, like that at the end of every episode, Ben Weaver learns a lesson about how he shouldn't be a shithead. And then at the beginning of every episode when he shows up, Ben Weaver's a shithead again. Yeah. It's yeah. like he has memento disease, but the <laughs> only tattoo he has on his body is like, Be a dick. Be asshole. <laughs> just over each nipple. Just, yeah. One on each back. He just like looks in the mirror and it's just like, it's done so he can see it in the reflection. And it's just like, Fuck people. <laughs> uh, and so, basically, Ben's mad at the idea that there could be any competition whatsoever. Yeah. Like, he wants to retain his monopoly on the sales of Mayberry. I'm surprised he didn't put a hit out on, on Ellie. He, yeah. Oh, that's where Ellie went. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's feasible. And... Andy, like, has a deep guilt because he couldn't save Ellie from the assassination of Ben Weaver, and that's why, like, no one in town talks about it. Possibly. Also, Ben Weaver's iron grip on this town, because this does reinforce Ben Weaver can buy and sell you people like yeah. cattle. Yeah. Um, I think at one point in time, maybe I misheard it, but I think at one point in time, he, like, directly threatens to, like, physical harm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, he threatens, like, to have people hurt. Uh, his, they, they establish a lot. He's he he has a monopoly on like general store shit, which I didn't know. It not really shouldn't be. He's he's, he's Walmart. He's like has a monopoly on like general goods in the town, and as a result, he is the most powerful person in the town. I I guess, and and for like unspecified reasons, he's the only person that Andy will like remotely listen to or show any like deference to. He's the only person that Andy has to maneuver around. Like, yeah. like Andy doesn't do what Ben Weaver tells him to do, but Andy has to figure out ways to not do it and what Ben Weaver tells him to do. So anyway, Ben's whole thing is there are laws against peddling in this town. You can't just come up and, and sell stuff on the street. Mm -hmm. You can't be like that. Andy, I want you to do something about this. And he threatens Andy again with his unspecified power. He's like, you want to be sheriff again? You want to keep being sheriff I'm, uh, I'm powerful. I'm, I'm. I have some vague like authority here. I I know people who know people who can make you not sheriff, or I can fund your opponent. And his whole thing is like the guy's peddling. He's selling on the street, and he's just like, no nah, man. He just opened his suitcase, and we started buying from him. And he's like, this is a business. He can't run a business this way. It's illegal because it's he's just selling on the street. You need to enforce the law. Uh, so then he storms off and Barney does like, why'd you let him talk to you like that, Andy? Which is an excellent question. Honestly, yeah. Andy didn't let anyone. Uh, and he says the line, you know what I would say to him? I would say, 
why don't you go sit in the grocery store so we all know you're the big cheese? I, I laughed at that Honestly, line. That's a, a funny solid line. line. It's good. It's pretty good. It's a rare, a rare hit for Barney. Uh, and then Andy just goes like, you want to have some fun? Uh, you want to pick at old Ben? Uh, and then they decide that they're going to build a store for Bert in the vacant lot. Like, they create fake competition for Ben so he'll lose his mind. Yeah, so they, they start by moving just – they just pick up the bench and they move the bench over. Yeah. And uh, once again, we get the joke where uh, Bert is like, oh, well, I don't want to be pushy. No one likes a pushy salesman. This keeps going over and over. So, so now he's off the street. So they yeah. have, you know – Done the ironic genie wish fulfillment kind of thing. Yeah. And Again, Bert does not want to be a salesman. Bert right. hates this. Uh, but next thing is a jailhouse where uh, Barney and Andy, Barney, who apparently can't fucking sing. Yeah. Uh, they're singing Help Somebody Every Day, Spread a Little Sunshine. Sounds like a made up song. At first, Andy is singing The Crawfish Hole, which is not the same as The Fishing Hole, which mm-hmm. is the theme of the show, mm-hmm. but it is close. Mm hmm. So, yeah, we get two – just in case you forgot that Andy Griffith can play the guitar, we get two Andy Griffith songs. It's honestly been a minute since Andy Griffith busted out the guitar on this show. Yeah, yeah. And Season I, one, it was every 15 seconds. I didn't mind, honestly. I was like, oh, that's a good song. Yeah, and and then Andy and Barney sing again. together, even though Barney supposedly can't sing. Enter uh, Ben. Ben's here, man. He kicks in the door. He kicks that door the fuck in. He's here. He's mad. He's got a bone to pick. He says, like, he's on the street. He can't be on the street. I told you to get him the fuck off the street. And they're like, he's not on the street. He's not on the street, Ben. He's in, he's in an alley. And he's like, well, okay. So, uh, you, he, he needs a roof. He needs a roof because he has to be a business if he's on the street, uh, or in the, in the, in the, the alley. He needs a, he needs a roof. He needs a roof. Yeah. The law says it needs a roof. Right. So then he leaves. Uh, is this where he, they go to build Bert a roof. They go. They're like, all right, well, give him a roof. Let's go build the fucker a roof. So basically, so their roof is they, they just put an umbrella. So he's basically just got like a hot dog stand at this point. Yeah, they give him an. They don't even like. They half ass the shit out of it. They just give him an umbrella, and then the next shot is just Ben going like, "It's not. That's not a roof. That's not a fucking roof. It's an umbrella." Uh, uh, I, I I think this is. I I should have just rewound it, but I believe that Ben says the line. I want this stopped because I can get a gun and you know it. Oh, no, no. Okay. I, cause I heard that and I was like, Jesus, it's, I can get it done and you know it. Oh. Yeah. No, oh. I heard it. I did rewind and I was like, Jesus Christ. No. Which is only slightly less ominous. <laughs> yeah. No, I can get it done is like, I'll have my powerful people crush you like an ant. Get a gun is like, I'm going to fucking execute this guy in, t- in the town square and you can't do shit to stop me. Uh, uh, so so basically where this is going is it goes back and forth until finally they just straight up invent the concept of a pop-up shop. Yeah. They just build Ben just like a temporary structure. Just give him like a little like stand. Yeah. Essentially with a roof and walls. And he just stands in his and he just stands in his stand selling pots and not really selling Telling people not to buy pots and pans and scarves from him. I get so sick of this bit. Because this Winnie the Pooh-ass motherfucker is doing, like, this stuttering, like, Oh, did you really need to buy a scarf? It's not, it's too, it's too, 
uh, it's too hot for a scarf. What do you need a scarf for? Also, this scarf is disgusting. And I'm like, okay, this bit is like a two-second bit. You're doing it for 30 seconds. It, it, and then he turns and he's, and he's like, I want to buy teacups. And he's like, you need all these teacups? Oh, no, no, no. You do not need teacups. Oh, no, 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 no. Who needs teacups like this? You're, you're growing more and more Adam Sandler as this goes along. And, oh. that's, and that's appropriate because this character is basically just like one SNL sketch. But like an after weekend update SNL sketch that goes on for way too long and they didn't really fully flesh out the idea. So it's just really the one joke. For me, it's more of a character that just like briefly drifted through Tim Burton's consciousness. Like it's Tim Burton thought of this character while he was like writing Alice in Wonderland part two and was like, nah, 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 it's not really Ben Weaver keeps being like, oh, he needs this thing. And then they're like, Okay, we'll build him that thing. And then every time Ben Weaver leaves, they just shit themselves laughing. Yeah. Uh, so that's what it is. They, they invent a pop-up shop just to fuck with Ben Weaver. Yeah. I have to say, I I like Andy's behavior in this show because his only motivation is to mess with a dude that he doesn't like. Yeah. And to kind of help a dude that he does like. And he doesn't really get involved any more or any less than he absolutely has to. It is arguable whether or not he is helping Be- uh, Bert because Bert hates this. Bert doesn't want to do Bert, this. This is Bert's least favorite thing in the world. I think Bert was just like, please, God, let me fail at this so I can do something else. And and he's just like, hey, Bert, here's more people that you can do sales to. And he's like, okay, cool. The thing that makes my blood feel like acid, let's go do it. <laughs> he's a non-consensual salesman. Uh, next scene is, uh, at the jail and enter Opie and we have to talk about oh, Opie's. What, before, before the Opie thing, there is a line when Ben is like, he's like, I've been nice up until this point, but I'm about to not be nice. And Andy's like, yeah, you've been nice. Barney hasn't been nice. Yeah, he's been real nice. It, it, it's cool that you pretend to be a, a skinflint and mean old tightwad because otherwise people would take advantage of how nice you are, Ben. They just basically like berate him to his face for a minute. Uh, he nearly shits his pants. He, he The actor does a fantastic job of looking like he's holding in shitting his pants. We really should talk about like the, just the performances in this. Bert and Sterling Holloway aside are fantastic. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, he's killing it. And and this is honestly one of the better like Andy Griffith portrayals. Andy's Andy played. Oh, everyone on this is fucking on point. Except I do not like Pooh Bear Man, but I feel like that's kind of just like it's not a quality of his acting. It's just the character and also the way he is and looks and sounds that upsets <laughs> me. I don't like hearing Pooh Bear's voice in a human man. It's upsetting. This episode allows Andy Griffith to do something that we saw him do a lot in season one. He gets to do, like, the mischievous imp kind of thing. He gets to be a rapscallion. He he gets to be, like, the puck. Yeah. Like, oh, what fools these mortals be. Like, all he's had to do this entire season is pranks. He's just been prank guy. And he's just like, I'm going to come in and solve the problem. But until that point, let Andy Griffith get an old prank in. Yeah, yeah. And it's really fun because Andy Griffith is clearly having fun with it. You, you get you get shades of Lonesome Roads in this. Yeah. No, Andy Griffith clearly has fun being a rapscallion. So it's crazy that they did a show where they made him an authority figure. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Yeah. It's so – because he's only having a good time when he's like a trickster. Like, yeah, it's, it's insane. <laughs> okay, so Ben Weaver shakes his fist. Next cut to the jail cell. Marty, what happens in that jail cell? Oh, my God. Not jail cell. Jail building. Opie enters wearing the sweetest fucking fringe jacket I have ever seen. fucking fringe jacket. He's wearing a leather fringe jacket. And it just kicks ass. Oh, it's 
sweet as hell. It's better than anything I own. I would kill for that French jacket. Ron and Clint Howard get the best clothes on get this. The best on this show. clothing. I mean, do you think if I had that French jacket, I could pull off that French jacket? I think you could. I think, I, honestly, I think you could because like. You've been working out. I think you got the. You think you got the gun for I, it. I feel like I could pull off. You a got fringe, the frame for it. I, I, honestly, a fringe jacket like that, two hundred percent confidence. Like if you doubt yourself for a second wearing a fringe jacket like the one that Opie is rocking, the people will tear you apart. Like everyone will just like suddenly turn like Invasion of the Body Snatchers and just rip you from limb to limb. <laughs> I think you could pull off a fringe jacket like that. All right. Yeah, I don't think you would waver for a second. We can't both wear fringe jackets. No, we can't, we can't each have one. <laughs> No, we we bewilder and upset people enough without wearing matching fringe jackets. I have slightly broader shoulders, so I think I could probably. I like, think you. I think your fringe. I honestly, I, I, I do not have the self confidence to pull off most. I bought a tank top a month ago and have been trying to work up the courage to wear a tank top. Oh, so honey. I probably can't rock. I keep like putting on the tank top, getting like halfway out my door, and then just immediately turning around, being like. Everyone's going to be like, what's up with the tank top? So, oh, buddy. Fringe jacket is probably light years away out. from that. Uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> what show is this? Um, so, uh, so Opie comes in and he's like got that sweet jacket, but it's not about it. So he's got just like a shitload of candy and gum and whatever. And Andy's like, "What? Where? Where did you get this? How, how did you pay for this? I did not give you any money. Yeah. Yeah. Opie's and, just like. Uh, Weaver is just straight up giving shit away. He gave me this chocolate, and he's just like put like emptying his pockets on the table. He gave me this chocolate. He gave me this gum. He gave me a fuckload of balloons. So Ben Weaver is pulling a move. It's the same move that uh, Bob's Discount Furniture does, uh, where he just has like free candy and ice cream and stuff, and for kids. Bob's Discount Furniture does that shit. Yes, I. I oh, I feel so vindicated and hating that fucking guy. I, I only know this because like we bought a dresser from them recently. Oh, okay. and I just stuffed my pockets full of butterscotch. <laughs> You I walked out of there just like shouldn't support. I I feel like uh, this is going to be very inaccessible from people not in like the greater tri-state area. But uh, Bob's Discount Furniture has the most upsetting TV advertisements <laughs> for the last ten years of just like this guy that has a voice that is hellish to hear. Of just like a deep like like it, I, it, it, he's he's got like a Ned Flanders ass voice. Yeah, he's and, and all of his ads are claymation couches. Being very upsetting. Like he's he's doing crime using claymation. And it's like him and like a claymation version of himself from like 30 years ago. Yeah. So it's like him and then this claymation guy as him, but with like way more hair. It, he asks the question, what if the guy that made Wallace and Gromit was evil? And and the answer is he would use abominations of claymation to sell. I'm assuming crappy furniture just from the fact that his name is Bob. No, actually, it was pretty good furniture. Fuck. I don't lie. But, Delete uh, that. Bleep that out. I demand that you bleep that out. We're not endorsing that furniture place. But the the other thing is, like, he's also real passive aggressive in his commercials. Because some of his commercials are like, hey, you know what sets Bob's apart from other retailers? We have stores. Yeah. You can come here and look at the furniture before you buy it. Yeah, all of it is like, like, he's in a court case and it's like... And, and there's a claymation judge. I don't know why the judge is claymation, but Bob is just like, oh, yeah, no, my beds are better. 
also they're not sold to you by convicted pedophiles. So that's pretty <laughs> cool. Like all of them are really bitchy and mean. Just um, bordering on slander. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what what show is this? <laughs> and so okay, and so, and so and so Andy is asking like, where'd you get this? So so Ben is like giving kids free stuff, and that gets the parents over there, and then he gives the parents super deals all their stuff, and he's just selling this stuff so cheaply that it's gonna squeeze Bert out of business. Yeah, and this is this scene is like very much like a a Walmart like. Closing down the small mom and pop shop. It one hundred percent is the, the the analogy is just very easily. I there. mean, normally we have to do a little bit of work to get the analogy for you, but this one's like served up on a platter. Big monopoly, big box store undercutting the small ones' prices, basically just, out of spite. Just out of spite, because again, this Andy establishes like this guy could not pose less of a threat to you if he tried. He's no, he's literally nothing. So you trying to put him out of business is insane. And he gives away an entire day of free shit just yeah. to get, like, the possibility of competition out of town. So it's, like, it's Walmart. It's just Walmart. Yeah, yeah. So so we don't have to, like, Andy, connect the dots on this for you. It, guys, it's Walmart. Andy, like, pretty much admits he can't do anything here. So he walks over to Bert's stand, which is now completely empty, despite having tons of people yesterday. And... Bert tries to be like, oh, well, I think that uh, people will buy stuff later. You know, they bought a bunch of stuff yesterday. And Andy's just like, and for some reason this time, Andy's just like, I'm going to tell you straight up the truth. Dude. Yeah. Like, Andy's just like, so, um, you were, no, because, all right, the, the deal with Bert is like, Bert's like, I'm fine, but this isn't a big deal to me. But also, I bought all this shit and I'm pretty out on a limb here because I bought a lot of stock from yeah, the yeah. next town over. Um, and Andy's like, oh, this had real human consequences. Fuck. So I should tell you that you were a, a pawn in my game. Uh, you were, you were a, you were a pawn, basically. I just kind yeah, of we, used you. We just, we destroyed your life for, I, for our personal amusement. Ah, Pooh um, Bear, I'm going to be honest with you here. I forgot you were a person for a hot minute there. I gotta say, I, I, I didn't ever figure that you had feelings or uh, like really that you had any like existence once you were out of my frame of vision if it uh if it helps it's a pretty good prank uh, honestly you gotta know i do this shit to my best friend all the time yeah like just every day no but honestly uh bert kind of takes this in stride bert takes this pretty well bert he's doesn't give a like, fuck oh well i guess i'm not gonna be a salesman anymore and you know secretly he's just like oh like fucking Louis. i feel like bert deeply yearns to be a hobo and this is ju- and he's just like andy is just preventing him from being his dreams not, not even a hobo right like just literally any other job the Andy Griffith Show exists in this world where, like, the first job you have is just what you are for the rest of your life. Show me a better 1930s hobo than Bert. I dare you to show me a better a man who would be better at being a 1930s. We already hobo. saw it. It was our actual 1930s no, hobo. But like, Bert would be like the most magical hobo who would like travel the train yards and teach kids about. I I don't know what hobos teach kids about. I'm going to say in this magical world the alphabet, but probably how to steal. We um, had an entire <laughs> episode with a hobo. Do yeah, you, but he'd do you be, remember he'd that? He'd be the good version of that hobo. He'd be like the whimsical version that does good things. Okay, edit all this out. <laughs> no. Uh, okay, so Andy's just like, all right, the least I can do is something. He, he, he said he's going to call uh, Jim Stevens in Mount Pilot. And he owes me a favor. I'm going to get his truck. We'll move and we'll... 
basically yeah. just get rid of all your merchandise. It's the least I can do. So uh, so the next scene is there. It's the next day, and uh, Barney and Andy are loading up the truck. Yeah. Uh, that Andy borrowed, and here comes old Ben, and they're like, "Ah, oh, Christ, he's coming over to promote." Oh, fucking this guy, this fucking guy again, like, and then. And Ben looks at uh, Jim Stevens' truck, and he says, he just jumps to the immediate conclusion, basically, what is Stevens' truck doing here? Stevens has been trying to get a foothold in this town for years. He wants to be my competition. Uh, how can you let this happen? Uh, and basically, with the and assumption... the answer he, should have been, because I'm the sheriff, and this isn't my fucking job. I don't, I'm not the Secretary of Commerce. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? I don't fuck control do you... it. If somebody wants to open up a store here, I can't stop them from doing that. Yeah, that's not what I do. And he's, not, how do you think the law works? Yeah, he's like, I'm not your fucking stormtrooper. But honestly, that is kind of how the law works in America. Sure. Commentary. Sure. Uh, so basically, what he thinks is that, uh, Brett Stevens, he thinks his worst nightmare has been realized. His <laughs> worst, worst nightmare is Brett Stevens. He thinks that Brett Stevens, <laughs> Brett Stevens. is coming into town to, <laughs> to write a, an op-ed <laughs> about why the liberals of Mayberry are really ruining our values. Oh my god, I hate that that man is in my head enough that when I hear Stevens, I immediately <laughs> fill in the blank, Brett. Before. Brett Stevens. That's, that's 80s worst nightmare. Is is a Brett Stevens op-ed. He and I have that in common. I need actually. to pour Drano in one <laughs> ear and hope it comes out the other. Just like it could take the ability to count with it, but I need to get that name out of my head. <laughs> That's real bad. Um, so he thinks that Stevens is uh, used Bert as a foothold to set up a shop in town, yeah, and he, Bert is like his operative. He was just like, did, did Stevens come and make a deal with Bert? Yeah. Uh, and, which how how would Bert doesn't own the 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 vacant lot. Yeah, by the way, they say that somebody does have the they give a name for the vacant lot. It's like, like that's Steve someone's property. Phil's vacant lot. That all the they have to determine is just like, "Hey Phil, you cool with this guy using your vacant lot?" And Phil just has to be like, "Sure" or "No." And but done. It's over. No one just owns a vacant lot for no reason, Ben. Like something's gonna go there. Yeah. Like you don't just buy a lot to keep it as a lot. Yeah. Basically, Andy realizes what's happening and he says like, "Barney, Start, we're unloading the truck, right? Let's start unloading this truck. Yeah, and gotta Bart, make sure we get this delivery unloaded. It takes like seven winks to get this across. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Barney starts unloading the truck and Andy's like, okay, so this is happening. Uh, I could stop it, but if I stop it, uh, you need to give Bert a job at your store. Then he brokers a deal. Like, once again, he does the same thing he did with Jim Lindsay and... Uh, this whole thing is bonkers Bob, illegal. Bobby Flea. Oh, it's, it's incredibly illegal. But also, Andy should have just been an agent. Yeah! Like, Andy is so good at getting people jobs. I mean, admittedly, this, it, how good of an agent would he be when he can't arrest people? He, this basically shifts into an episode of Ballers yeah. for a second. Uh, HBO's Ballers, a show that no one's watched. Yeah, no, no one's watched that fucking... Rob Corddry's on it. I would watch, like... I, Rob Corddry would get me, like, five minutes of that show. Sure. Just because I love that man. Andy basically does this high-stakes negotiation where every part of the negotiation, he has to run back to Bert and be like, hey, Bert, do you want a job? And Bert's like, no. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, right. This is a miserable <laughs> a miserable agreement for everybody. He, Bert's like – Bert's going to be terrible at this job. No, Bert's like, please, don't make me take this job. Does he really, really, really want me to take this job? And Andy's like, yes. And Bert's like, oh. God, 
I guess I'll do it. And he's like, great, everyone's happy. Runs back. Yeah, like, and, and he doesn't even just broker the job. He also brokers Bert's salary. He, Bert's, he gets Bert a raise, and then he gets uh, Ben to buy off all that fucking merchandise. Yeah, which Ben is just like, I'm going to have to burn this. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you are. Um, so this is kind of like the most uh, like shitty old-timey Democrat thing where he's like, all right, so we have a problem. Monopoly. Ben's got a monopoly. He's running little guys out of town. He's undercutting with their prices. How do we solve this problem? We get the little guy a job at the monopoly. Done. Nailed it. Like, it's not like, because the, the whole thing is like, Stevens is going to come into town, so there'll be two general stores. And he's like, that's fucked because then I won't rule this town with an iron fist. And Andy's like, well, I guess it's fine that you rule this town with an iron fist. We'll just get this. They keep solving the problem of Ben ruling the town with an iron fist by forcing Ben to hire motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you remember the other time when Ben was going to, like, foreclose on a dude? Was and, it Muggins? Yeah, Sam Muggins. Muggins. Uh, and uh, Andy solved it by selling that dude into indentured servitude. Yeah, they just keep... You shouldn't work for your landlord. This is the most, like, it's that one tweet of just, like, conservatives. Get it, it, put everyone into concentration camps. Liberals, make some of the guards female. Yeah, hire like, more women guards. Yeah, it's exactly like that, where it's just like, yeah, in your dystopian rulership over the town, you gotta hire some people. Yeah, yeah. Which, so the, the end result is that Ben Weaver hired a miserable salesman who's probably going to commit suicide by the end of the year. And in the meantime, will actively obstruct his sales. Yeah, it's, it's everyone's going to be miserable with this or, this arrangement. Yeah. And uh, so Andy says, well, guess what, Ben? You're going to – no, I'm sorry. Barney says, well, guess what, Bar- Ben? You're getting the best salesman in Mayberry. And Ben says, no, I'm getting the second best. Barney says, well, who's the best? And he says, well, you should know. You work for him. Yeah. And he's the best uh, salesman. Ben put a bunch. Uh, Stinger is that. Uh, ben enters and he's like, all right, somebody needs to go into that vacant lot so that people can't build a, a general store in there. I don't, I'm talking to you, the sheriff, not the mayor or literally anyone else. You, the sheriff. Use your capacity for violence to do this. And and he's just like, he said, like, I appreciate you keeping that vacant lot um, empty for me. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and he says, well, let me tell you something. Uh, I hate to break it to you, but somebody else moved in there. Somebody yeah. else set up a shop in there. And Ben loses his shit. And then it's like walking down. It takes forever for them to get from the jail to the lot. And it's the whole time Ben's just yelling, I'm going to do this to me. You double crossed me. You promised me you'd keep that lot clean. Which how, how exactly could Andy make that promise? It's, yeah. yeah. How, what power does he have over land purchasing? Yeah. Also, he never promised that he would keep the lot empty. He just said that he would get Ben out of, or Bert out of there. Also, he hates you. Why are you expecting this? He thinks you're a piece of shit. Anyway, the joke is that after Ben throws his little temper tantrum, Andy gestures at the business that's there, and it's Opie uh, with an lemonade stand. And for some reason, Opie is just holding it like with a full bare fist, just shoving his (laughs) fist in the pitcher of lemonade. I don't know if he's like dunking a lemon in it, but it's just like his little sticky little hand is just deep in that pitcher for no reason. And and he's like, that's my dipshit son. And that's the clip that that Bob Sweeney decided to go with. He's like, all right, whatever, Ronnie. Have fun. (laughs) Just fuck it. Let's get lunch. So that ratings? Uh, 
every negative point in this is I fucking hate Bert. <laughs> they uh, so the Bert stuff annoying because they do the Bert joke of Bert is a bad salesman like fifteen a bunch of times. times. Yeah, yeah. But all the stuff of Andy and Barney fucking with Ben Weaver. Great. Hilarious. So good. It's just them ripping on this old man. And just like he's doing like the uh like the parody thing of just like an old rich like guy going, Oh like shake fist. Yeah. yeah. I'll get you kids. Lucky ducky. Yeah. Uh yeah, so that's great. So I put it at like a seven. This this is an eight for me. This yeah. is a solid episode, honestly. This is an episode worth watching, I think. So moral reprehensibility, Barney score. It's hard because on one hand, draws attention to a very real issue. Big businesses undercutting smaller businesses with their pricing. Great. Fucking yeah. Like they're pointing out that Ben Weaver's whole thing is an asshole. Monopoly's bad. Problem is their solution to that. Is just go with it. Just roll with it. Like uh, eke out small uh, employment victories where you can. So arguably worse than if they hadn't brought up the issue at all. Isn't it wonderful how you can get a job as a Walmart greeter after you're forced to close your family store when Walmart moves into town? It honestly makes sense why everyone's, like, so numb to this for, like, the last, like, couple of years. Because, like, the entire time it was happening, they were just like, well, just do the thing that Andy Griffith did and just get a job at Walmart, idiot. Like, yeah, so... I, it, it, it's really just, like, the the seeds of something dark. Yeah. As much of this show is. So, yeah, a five score, again, like, no puppies are kicked. But I I gotta say, probably a six. In terms of, like, actual damage it did, probably yeah. a seven. Yeah. Like, it probably, it really, like, you can just see people being, like, prematurely numbed to shit that we really needed them to not be numbed to. Yes. And they were just, like... Uh, monopolies, undercutting businesses, and running them out of town. It's it's not great, but it's okay and acceptable and something you should live with. De- deal with it, I yeah. guess. It's pretty much, it's pretty much what the uh, approach they take to this. All right, all right. So the the one I'm pumped about. Let's get in. Let's get into Aunt B the Warden. The the episode that fucking whips ass. I'm I'm pumped about this episode of television. Let's rock into this. Let's just get rocking and rolling, rocking and reeling, Barbara Ann, with this shit. Yeah. Uh, all right. So season two, episode twenty three, Aunt B the Warden, airs March twelfth, nineteen sixty two. Uh, written by Charles Stewart and Jack Ellenson, and directed by Up Next to Bat for the Sutherland Valley Baptist Church softball team, Bob Sweeney. The first character to die in your Oregon Trail party, Bob Sweeney. <laughs> yeah, let me let me do the, let me do the one sentence summary from Wikipedia. Yeah, with the courthouse jail full of moonshiners, Otis has to serve his time in the Taylor House. By the way, remember this is Andy Taylor. Yeah, we, we keep referring to him as Andy Griffith because I kind of refuse because I I have an honest issue with uh, things where the it's the the actor's name and then they give the character a different last name. Like I always I always hated Heathcliff. Huxtable, because I'm like, it's called the Bill Cosby show. Call it the Huxtable show. Sure, sure, sure. Otis has to serve his time in the Taylor house under the supervision of Aunt B, who keeps him busy with chores. Yeah. A thing not included in the summary is that this episode fucks hard. <laughs> this, this episode rails. This, this episode fucking opens. The fucking opening of this episode, Marty, is a police car hauling ass drifting down a fucking country road. Andy Griffith takes a hard corner, kicks up dust through a fucking cornfield. For this episode, it, he might as well have, like, jumped something. Like, yeah. for the for this show. It, it's a proto-Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. Then, 
uh, opens up the jail. Barney's running out the front door. Losing what, his shit. Losing his shit. He's like, holy shit. Uh, what comes out of that uh, out of that police car? Just like a whole like clown car full of ne'er do wells and miscreants. Andy comes out, and you're thinking like, oh, it'll just be Andy Griffith. He'll just be like, oh, hey, golly shucks. Andy Griffith looks like he's been through fucking hell. He's holding a double barrel shotgun. His hand is bandaged up. There's a cast on his pinky finger. Uh, his hair is must. He's got a he's giant, got a giant bruise on his right cheek. He's limping a little bit couple of the guys have, like, bruises on their cheek. They all look like they've been in a fist fight. And Barney has, like, what the fuck happened? He's, like, had a little bit of trouble bringing these guys in. And then, like, unloads the shotgun. So before this episode happened, there was a fight scene. Because Andy, like, went to bring these guys in with a shotgun. And then they fought him. And Andy Griffith had to punch a guy in the face so hard that his Fucking pinky broke. Yeah, he beats the, the and then he beat them into submission so b- badly that he was able to load them in the car. Yeah, and then stop at the doctor's to have his wrist bandaged up, and they just sat there and took it. Yeah, and made no attempt to leave. These guys are not like limp, but they're just like standing there, like defeated. They have Andy has broken them. I would give my left testicle to see that fight scene. I would give anything to see that fight scene so so here's something interesting from the ultra reliable mayberry wiki yeah about that cast uh this is what it says andy is shown with a cast on his arm supposedly from a sprained wrist he got bringing in the gordon boys this is because in real life andy griffith supposedly sprained his wrist driving his fist through a wall Fuck! (laughs) And, and and then they have this little like sentence at the end the reason for this seemingly uncharacteristic outburst has been debated for years. What could have... I mean... What What caused Andy Griffith to put his fist through a fucking wall? I mean, I'll, I'll offer an explanation. He was a movie star. It was the 1960s. Movie stars in the 1960s punched walls. That's true. They were all fucking crazy. Like... Uh, Yul Brenner would just, like, slap children in the middle of the street. Like, of course he punched a fucking wall. Kirk Douglas was basically the coach from Letterkenny. Yeah. <laughs> he just ran through just kicking shit. <laughs> yeah. These, like, a, a movie star back then would just, like, would just went on rampages because the, you could say, like, the art took hold of them, but in reality it was just, like, they were drunk. James Cagney would just, like, throw a trash can into traffic. <laughs> Karen Grant would just be like, well, it's 7 o'clock, time to slap my wife. Yeah, so, like, fuck, that's why, because he's he's a rich met white man in the 60s. Of course he punched a fucking wall. Uh, uh, so so that's what's going on, right? So now we've locked up the Gordon boys who are running this big still. Yeah, so and Barney's like, what the fuck did they do? And he's like, they're the Gordon boys. They own. They were owners of that still we were looking for out in Franklin Holler. And the, uh, there was a really good line where Barney Fife says, uh, do you want me to – should, should I call in? Is this a 316 and 812? Should I put it in an APB? And Andy's just like, an all points bulletin? They're already here. Also, there's a great moment uh, when they're bringing him in where Barney's like, you caught them all for the, you caught them? Oh, I wish I could have gotten a piece of these guys. And then he takes out a pistol, waves waves it around wildly. And he's like, Jesus. And he's like, get inside. And then there's a kid walking by. And Aunt Barney, he's like a teenager. And Barney points the pistol at him. He's like, keep walking, keep walking. Kid's always loitering. And the kid takes 
a police officer pointed a pistol at him. It's just like, come on. Like, fuck like, you. What, the, what? Come on, man. Uh, what are you doing? Like, like, you're pointing a gun at me. You're being. I'm walking here. Yeah. It's very much a you're, I'm walking here attitude. He's like, oh, oh, what's your problem? I'm just here. Just trying to go about my, my day. Uh, uh, so they, they, they lock up the, the four criminals, two to a cell. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Barney gives a big speech about how this is a maximum security prison. Yeah. And of course, Andy's like, you know what would make it more secure? Take the fucking key off the wall, you idiot. And he just like grabs it. Um, and Barney is so happy that the he's jail is thrilled. full. Yeah. He's like, I cannot believe the jail is full. This is the best day of my life. The jail's been full before, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. The jail was full on Christmas one time. That was great because Andy let a bunch of giant, dangerous lunatics out into the city. Um, Merry Christmas. <laughs> they're, they're tipping over cars. Merry Christmas. Andy's just like, I wish the jails were empty. This means that we're not doing a good job. Good line. Great, great philosophy. Good job, Andy Griffith Show. Ten points. Uh, Enter Otis. Oh, so Hal Smith. I'm going to say a lot of nice shit about this episode. He's so good in this. How? So, one, Charles Ellison and Jack Stewart. Fucking nail this episode. Yeah. The writing is exceptional. For them, it's like the best thing they ever done. They should have killed themselves right after because <laughs> they were never going to top this as human beings. But for this show, it's great because every single joke lands. We, we've gone, we've gone off on Ellison and Stewart before, and this time I hate these weaselly little pricks. This time they are nailing it. I just say this episode rules. Everyone is on top of their game. Andy's on top of his game. Uh, Francis Bavier, who plays uh, Aunt B, fucking rules. <laughs> Dig Hal Smith up. Give him a fucking Emmy. Give Hal Smith like 30 Emmys for this episode because he annihilates. <laughs> Hal Smith nukes this episode from orbit. He... Hal Smith rides a nuclear bomb out of the plane like it's the ending of Doctor Strangelove. He wanders in this little, like, drunk, fat, W.C. Fields-looking motherfucker. And he's, like, funny from the very get-go. Hal Smith knows perfectly how to use the fact that he uh, does not have a chin. Yeah. Like, he he moves his head around in relation to his neck so perfectly. He looks like a, like a little tykes doll. Yeah. yeah. Or like a weeble. Weeble's what they call it. Weeble's wobble. They don't fall down. He's adorable, and his face is constantly moving in and out of the weird hub that is his head neck. It's so perfect. And, uh, and so drunk Otis stumbles in, and he tries to go to his room, you know, mm-hmm. his cell. Uh, and he sees that there's two people in there, and Barney's gonna get the keys, and the four Gordon boys say, yeah, come on in. Come on in here. Yeah. Because they think that Otis is the one that sold them out. And as we all know, Otis is no narc. Otis does not snitch, which is extremely counterintuitive, because why the fuck does Andy let him hang out if he, like, is drinking from every moonshiner that they are constantly hunting for, but they don't just, like... Follow him. Yeah, o- Otis is not an informant, and Otis, I think, is smart enough to know when Andy and, and Barney yeah. are tailing him. Otis is on top of his shit. But, so, they basically are like, okay, one, you're buddies with the sheriff. Two, right before we got caught, you stopped buying from us because we upped our prices. And Otis is like, I did not leave you because you upped your prices. This is great. I left you because your quality went down. And 
I found someone who delivers, which who, is who delivers a to my house, but also who delivers on the quality because, uh, like Otis is a connoisseur of bootleg liquor. Otis will pay extra for moonshine if the quality is there, and he says it no longer has the zip. Yeah. Uh, he he's just like I've tasted this model. This is not an excellent vintage. Of o- Otis is the phantom gourmet of gr- of grain liquor that you brew in your barn. <laughs> he's basically Daniel Day Lewis, <laughs> but when it comes to fucking grain alcohol, yeah, he's such a discerning palate for things for things you can't taste because it's burning off your taste buds. If I'm going to go blind, it will be worth it. <laughs> Solid day, Lewis. Uh, so, uh, uh, Barney comes back with the keys and he's like, which cell should we put him in? And one of them's like, put him in my cell. I'll fucking murder him. And the other one's like, no, put him in here. I'll also fucking murder him. So they have to evacuate Otis from the premises for they have his to, like, own pull good. pull him away. So they talk, they talk a lot about this. They're like, there's no room for Otis. These guys are going to fucking fucking kill him. We'll have to constantly be preventing them from kicking the shit out of Otis. And then there's like a lot of hemming and hawing, but Andy's just like, Put, we'll just take him to my house. And Barney is upset about this. He's like, you can't do that. That undercuts the law, which who gives a shit? It's the Andy Griffith show. So Bar- Andy's just like, I'm going to take him to my house. I'll just lock him up at my house. It'll be fine. Uh, as he's leaving... Barney, like, stews about the integrity of the law. He almost lets him steal the key twice. He just keeps leaving it on the wall. Uh, just kind of, you know, just reminding you in case you forgot that Barney Fife is incompetent. Sure. It's been a minute. You might have, like, forgotten. Um, so, cut to the house. Aunt B is baking. Yeah, she's baking alongside with uh, pickle champion Clara Jeffries. Oh, that's Clara? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Continuity. Yeah, and uh, somebody else. Some Just, lady. Uh, some lady. Uh, Andy and Otis roll up, and Otis is singing. And at first, uh, it, uh, he's singing just like some like nursery rhyme, but at the first, it sounds like he's singing zombie. Like, <laughs> it does. It's so, uh, in your hand, in your hand. <laughs> like, and then he sings, so he starts singing about like a field mouse or some shit, but I was like, I, just for a second, I was like, what the fuck is happening? Am I going insane? <laughs> uh, so Andy, like, starts to, like, brings Otis in. There's, he, like, it's a whole thing because, like, Otis is, like, fall down drunk. Palsmith is, like, having the time of his fucking life with physical comedy. They bring him in. Ampy's, like, like, what the fuck is, you brought the town drunk here. I have people over. Oh, I'm sorry. You want Otis to stay here? No. Right. I live here. This is very bad. This is the, like, drunkest, craziest person in town. No. And Andy's just like, well. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, Otis drinks from the flower vase, and it's a whole thing. Yeah, they, they give him the vase, and they're like, here, Otis, you need to get some water in you. And he's just chugging his, like, yeah. chugging it from the, and they get him upstairs to, this, like, the spare bedroom, I guess? Yeah. yeah no, they take him up to the, the guest room. Cut to the kitchen where Aunt B is, uh, she's, like, leading, uh, she's, like, leading the leave, and she's really distracted because she's constantly, like, looking up, hoping that Otis doesn't do something stupid and embarrass her. Clara just made a coconut cake, and she thinks it should be decorated with jelly beans, which sounds fucking disgusting, Clara. Stick to pickles. I mean, I'd eat a cake with jelly beans on it. Coconut cake with jelly beans? Oh, man. 
Uh, I mean, it's a coconut cake, so it's already a little gross, so right. you might as well gun it. By the way, we, we also learned in this episode that Andy Griffith likes uh, black jelly beans, which is the worst part of his character. What the fuck is going I, – I, are there still black jelly beans? Is that even still a thing? It kind of tastes like – yeah, I mean I've had them. They're disgusting. Are there any – It's just like black in... licorice. It tastes like anise. <sighs> or like an ass. So she's like really worried that Otis is going to leave his room. What does Otis do? He leaves his room. And I, the way this is filmed is amazing because like they film – Otis, like, belly and shadow first. Yeah. He, like, stumbles out, and his Hal Smith's shadow is almost like a second character for this scene. Yeah. The lighting is perfect. He's just stumbling along, and uh, he, like, falls through. There's some great Pratt falls, or some practical comedy as he, like, stumbles his way down the stairs. And it's so fucking good. Uh, and then, uh, it, like, Otis, like, stumbles downstairs, and the big thing is, like, Honestly, the whole, like, Otis being drunk thing is, like, a little weak because it's just, like, Al Smith just kind of, like, owning every scene. There's not a lot, really a lot for him to, like, play off of. Um, and the big joke is, like, he came down to fill his vase because yeah. he's out of water. Well, to be, to be clear, uh, he also spills the vase all it, – it's, it's empty because he spilled the vase all over the bed. Yeah. And uh, Aunt B is pretending that nothing's happening, right? He, he, she hasn't told Clara and the other person that there's a drunk maniac in the house. Uh, you know who was trying to fill their vase in the last episode? Aunt B. You happy maybe, with that? Maybe edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and so then he then he stumbles through, and yeah, Hal Smith nails that line. I came to reveal my vase. So good. I, I, so fucking funny. Hal Smith is just just on a fucking rampage it's so good and then it continues because it cuts to the morning uh and ampy's like i'm very upset that you brought a drunk lunatic to the house and he embarrassed me in front of the the other women who the are, only people i know yeah who's the the gossipy women who are invariably ruining my life as we speak uh they're probably like running me out of the church and, and, and Andy's just like, well, don't look on the black side of things, which sounds weird because I've never heard like that. The other side of that phrase. Right. But... Yeah. I mean, I guess logically, right? Like if you're saying look on the bright side, there should also be a not bright side. But dark just... side. Yeah, don't dark look on side. The... yeah. Black side sounds weird, but it's weird. Um, So Andy has to leave, but Otis will be gone soon. It's fine. In fact, let's, let's go ahead and clear this up. Otis's sentence should be over by now, right? Like, normally they just have Otis, like, sleep it off and then he leaves. Well, no, he always hangs out in the jail. Like, he always, like, like oh, yeah, he's, does, he's... like, admit, he just chills in the jail. Like, they let him out of the cell, but he doesn't leave the building. Sure, okay. And the whole thing's a formality, except for right now. Right, right. So, so, uh, Aunt B makes some, Otis some toast and yeah. some breakfast. And he's like, it'll be no big deal that he's here. Oh, also, he likes two eggs, one sugar in his coffee. Uh, he should have it about now. Also with orange juice. So if you could just like bring that up to him soon. Bye. And then he says like, oh, can I kiss the warden on my way out? And then like kisses Ampy on the cheek. Uh, back at the jail, Barney is once again trying to rehabilitate criminals, this time by helping them build like valuable life skills. Oh, sorry. Did you think that this episode was just good? No. Guess what? It's also more possibly the most morally reprehensible an episode of this show has ever been. Remember last time when an Andy Griffith episode was like, hey, rehabilitating prisoners is a bad idea and you shouldn't try it? We're doubling down. We're double tapping this idea. <laughs> because don't, yep. don't you 
dare try to rehabilitate prisoners. The I feel like these episodes, like right before they aired, must have been like sponsored, like sponsored by Milton's prisons. Milton's. When you think of of human rights abuses, think Milton. Right, because so this is just like yeah, fuck you for even trying to teach these people anything. And also, prison labor is a good idea because guess what, folks? That's where we're heading straight for yeah. right now. Cry- it. And the crazy thing is, the entire time it's being morally reprehensible, it's great. It's funny it's so as funny. shit. It's so and funny because kind of, Barney is doing rehabilitation, and he says, uh, "All right, so you can we're we're gonna I'm gonna turn you into productive member of society." Had your lives turned out differently, had the wind blown your twigs in a different direction, horrible way to phrase that, but keep going, Barney, uh, you could have been a dentist. You could have been a great violinist. You, a great architect. And then he points to, like, the biggest, luggiest one. It was like, you could have been a dancer. It's so good. It's really funny. And yes, yes, Barney. Barney's, Barney admits that at least a little bit of this is circumstantial. This is violently out of character. This is not even in the same dimension as this character. But fuck it. Barney is in this ep- this particular phase of the episode. Barney is the best character in the entire show. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Like, I'm really enjoying this version of Barney. This Barney 2.0. I, th- I think by this point, Barney has like figured out a different... I think Barney's finally figured out that crimes are at different levels and that there yeah. are crimes and then there are crimes. And that people can change and that if you just give them the tools to not be criminals, they won't want to be criminals because being criminals isn't particularly fun. <laughs> like it's not a great like joyride. Uh, so so Barney gives them the only tools he knows, which is like basically Opie's toys. He's like, I've got a wood carving set, a leather carving set, a metal working set, and a Mr. Potato set. Great joke. It's so funny. Fucking great. It's so funny. Uh, so, and they, the prisoners, there's this great shot of the prisoner just staring at him like, what the fuck? And then there's just like a long pause. He's like, well, who wants what? And then just like the big guy that he called the dancer was like, I'll take the Mr. Potato head. And then he just hands them all out. And the prisoners are just like. What is happening? <laughs> but this rules. This rules because because Barney's just like, yeah, I can teach you things. You, you, you can you can learn skills and then leave and then go like. Just a- I'm trying. He's giving them a really good speech about like, yeah, you know, you guys just gotta like like believe in yourselves a little bit and you can be different people. You don't have to be criminals. It's great. It's fucking great. Oh, I'm so close. And then so. And then Barney smiles, feeling really good about himself because he feels like he just basically did like a fucking stand and deliver. He just did like Mr. Holland's fucking opus. Oh, Captain, guys. my Captain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ew. And then like it, it, it hard cuts, and and it should like episode should just end there. It should Ep- stop. This should yeah. be done. This should be done. But uh, okay, so remember the past scene because it's going to come up again. Back at the house, uh, Aunt B is serving breakfast to Otis. Uh, she knocks on the door and says, Otis, come get your breakfast. And o- Otis says, uh, I'll have it later, Aunt B. Just keep the coffee warm for me. And then Aunt B just loses her shit. Yeah, so uh, because Otis says, like, I'm a prisoner. And I expect to be treated like a prisoner in this house. Because the joke is, like, Andy treats him as an extremely cushy prisoner. Aunt B comes in, yells at him to wake up. He's like, fuck off. Uh, and then she dumps the vase. She looks at the vase and she's like, that fucking vase. Uh, and then just picks it up, dumps water on him uh, and says, like, you're a prisoner. That means I'm the warden. That means you have to do what I say. So the first thing you're going to do, 
you're going to uh, clean this room. After that, you're going to do chores. And he's like, I have the worst hangover in my entire life. And she's like, I don't give a shit. Right. I'm Aunt B. I'm I'm fucking stone cold. <laughs> I'm the fucking I, – I was built to destroy you. This shit this, – this becomes Cool Hand Luke real fucking fast. Real fast. <laughs> what we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> Some men you just can't reach. <laughs> Uh, uh, the next scene is Otis mowing the lawn and he like tries to take a break. Like he's, he's mowing the lawn and he just like tries to like lean up against the fence. And then Ampy just like quickly walks out and just stares at him until he starts mowing the lawn. If Ampy had a cattle prod at this point, like. Ampy, I, there could be one scene where Ampy just has like a bull whip and just whips him. And I would, yeah. yeah. Like she could just like throw a harpoon into his back, like he's a woolly mammoth, and I would I would not flinch. <laughs> uh, and then the next thing is, uh, he's cleaning a window, and then as soon as the window is clean, Aunt B's face is there staring at him. Uh, she's everywhere. She's everywhere. She's omniscient. You cannot escape B. The the, the Aunt B panopticon, like. Just there should just be one thing where it's like 1984 where there's a big screen just like with Ampy's face just like you will clean the house will be tidy. Oh, Foucault would have had a field day with this fucking episode. Oh God, Foucault would have nutted. <laughs> uh, so and then Otis is chopping wood and then Ampy is just like. Hmm, yes, you've done a good job. And then she's walked back, and Otis looks at the axe and contemplates murdering a woman. <laughs> it's so good. Andy comes home, and Otis is cleaning the floor. Yeah. And he's like, Otis, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And Otis is like, get me out of this. Please, please get me out. Please. please get me. Uh, and then he's like, what is, is Aunt B, like, treating you well? And he's like, Aunt B, she's Bloody Mary. Uh, and then Andy's like, well, I guess your time ain't up, so I can't let you go. Andy's also having a great time with this. This yeah, he is thinks funny this is as hilarious. hell. And he's like, I also I can't take you back to the jail because they'll murder you. Right, yeah. Uh, and then walks away, and there's a close-up of Hal Smith's face, and he just goes like, oh, what kind of a mess have I made of my life? Uh, and then he says like, okay, here's what I need to do. I need to crack out, which uh, – not a term. Sure. Um, yeah. It's like, I need to run for it. And then what follows is the best fucking part of the entire show so far. A whip-ass escape montage. It rules so hard. This is, the, this is the payoff to season two. Like, we have been in the desert for so long, Marty. We have suffered. We have endured. Do you understand? We have... I've been through shit, and this is what I needed. This is the light at yeah, the end. Yeah, yeah, we came out changed men from season two. God, and it's here, and Providence has arrived. It is manna from heaven. Hal Smith is trying to escape from Andy Griffith's house. And Aunt B just appears <laughs> everywhere and catches her at every turn. Aunt B is just omnipresent. I, I, Dan, I almost don't want to describe what happens here, because I just, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Viewers... Just go watch this episode. Straight up go watch this episode. Just go. It's, no, on, it's on Netflix and Amazon Prime. Viewers, pause. Pause this. Go watch the episode. Go go watch it. Come back. Take a beat. Okay. So so we're just going to say that the uh, the montage happened and it was very funny. Uh, do you want to – I really want to describe the montage. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. So 
Otis just straight up first tries to walk out the front door. <laughs> yeah, that's his yeah, that, first plan. That's his first attempt. <laughs> and then Epi is just sitting on the porch. He didn't check if she was on the porch. And she's just like, did you fill the wood box? And he's like, no. And she's like, go fill the wood box, bitch. <laughs> and, and then uh, she keeps saying over and over again, get, get to, to it. it. It's the best. It's such a good line. Uh, uh, this is like once where he's he's upstairs and uh he's like he leans out and he sees the neighbor which is just just some dude who's got a ladder yeah and he's like hey hey bring me the ladder come here and then the dude is just like yeah, okay all right this <laughs> right. seems cool and then just like puts the the ladder against the window and then Otis like they show every step of Otis climbing down which is again like a thing they didn't know that they didn't have to do but this time it's funny yeah this time it's funny because he's climbing down the ladder to where aunt b is and we see aunt b and, sh- and he doesn't oh do you think you can play the music from this scene because as he's climbing down the ladder the best fucking oh my god jazz the, the music, the, is the music in this episode kicks it. i'll try i'll yeah. try uh so this whip ass music plays uh and then he like climbs down and then ampy is just standing there smiling perfectly still and he just looks at her and just goes have you vacuumed the hall no well, get to it. You know and what this, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of those Looney Tunes cartoons with uh uh the sheepdog and the wolf. That, yes. Good night, Ralph. Good night, Sam. And like every single time the the coyote tries to take the yeah. uh, and it just it always says sheepdog there. It's that. It's, it's just that. It's extremely Looney Tunes. It's so Looney Tunes because it was like the the degree to which Aunt B like Aunt B wasn't there when he started climbing down the ladder, and then she's standing perfectly still, smiling as he gets down. It's ex- it's so Looney Tunes. <laughs> it's so good. And then the last one is it's like a long thing. Of, like, Ampy like, negotiating with the guy that takes their laundry away. And she's like, so you're going to have it back by Thursday? And he's like, yeah, I got you. And she's like, okay, good. I expect this of you. Uh, it's good to see you again, Steve. And he's like, thanks. Good to see you again, Ampy. We and totally then, fucked. <laughs> I I totally railed Steve. Uh, this is me, Ampy, talking directly into the camera. This is the only time the entire Andy Griffith show that, Amp, that the fourth wall is broken. And it's just me, Ampy, going like... Fuck that guy. Because, <laughs> again, Ampy is a stone-cold player who is running pipe constantly. Yes, constantly. Ampy is just crushing it. Um, so then she goes around and she, like, looks for Otis for a second. And she's like, Steve, stop the truck, stop the truck. And runs out with her broom. And just starts smacking, beating, Smacking just, laundry bags. And just you hear this house McCall like, oh, oh, God, no, stop. Uh, and then he... Uh, he uh he gets out and she's like, "Have you done the dishes?" No. Well, get to it. It's so good. It's the I think it's like the first time the show actually does a montage. Yeah, and it rules. It's so funny. Uh, uh, so Andy comes home and he's like, "It's time to let Otis go." Uh, and Otis comes down and he's like. In a slightly different suit than yeah, the suit it, he was wearing he's before. He's like somewhat dressed. He's sobered up and looks like it looks like he's going to church. We've seen him wear this suit before. Yeah. 
like, he's he's not moving his arms, which is how how Hal Smith indicates that he's being a good boy. Right. Like he uh, Hal Smith shows that Otis is behaving by being uncomfortable. Yeah, because every time Otis is like misbehaving, he's moving his head. Why am I physically demonstrating this? This is a podcast. Like he's moving his entire body around constantly, and he's really like liquid and shit. And whenever Otis is behaving, Hal Smith does it so that he's just like carved out of wood and he barely moves moves his knees to walk uh and then uh, ampy is like well tell him what you told me and otis is like i'm not gonna drink uh also he's like trained like a dog where ampy is just like speak i'm not going to drink anymore uh uh i'm on probation if i ever misbehave i have to come back here uh and then Otis calls Andy's house the, the Rock. The Rock. It's so good. It's the just the name of the, the Rock. The Otis calls the house the Rock. Otis walks out of the house and just was like, "Oh, it's good to smell freedom again." Which he's been outside before. Um, but uh, so, so Barney comes in and hey, do you remember how Barney was trying to do a good thing? Yeah, Barney was trying to rehabil- rehabilitate prisoners in a constructive and healthy manner that we both fucking loved. Yeah, fuck that. Fuck that shit. How it's, dare you? It's the Andy Griffith show. You can't rehabilitate anyone. Like no one changes. Fuck you. This is the Andy Griffith show. No, no. You know, but so what happened? You know that metalworking kit that Barney gave him? They used it to escape. They made a fucking key. Because how fucking dare you? That's what, a, that's what a prisoner will do if you try to give him any sort of kindness whatsoever. You, how dare you tell them that he could have been an architect? Also, I, I like the implication here that apparently they were already good enough at metalworking to make a fucking yeah. like, key they made out a of a still. child's erector set. They made a still. They're not unskilled labor. <laughs> They making a making a moonshine still is hard. It's really difficult. He should have been like, have you ever just thought of taking your like probably considerable abilities as moonshine guys and just like becoming skilled like skilled legal labor because you totally could. Like he his sin here was being slightly condescending. I guess, yeah. But also not really because he was doing a great thing. But, but also they made a key capable of opening two jail cells, two steel doors yeah. out of a child's metalworking kit. <laughs> These guys rule. <laughs> uh, but, but they also, fucking did the – they were just the A-team. You know, yeah. it, it was just that scene where you, where the bad guys locked the A-team in the garage and it just happens to be full of like malleable materials. Yeah, no, like Barney's criminal sin was one, believing that rehabilitation is possible and two, forgetting that he had locked up the A-team. <laughs> like I, we forgot to mention up top that one of these guys was played by Mr. T. Yeah, actually, Dan, what we should have said up top is that uh, in 1972, the Gordon boys were sent to prison by a military court for a crime that they didn't commit. And those men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, mm-hmm. still wanted by the government, and they survive as soldiers of fortune. And if you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, you can hire the Gordon boys. Was that on the Mayberry Wiki? It was. It was the ultra-reliable Mayberry Wiki that told me all that. Huh. Yeah. You know, a little bit of context really goes a long way on this show. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> so Barney uh, Barney reveals that his efforts to do the right thing, the right thing. something good. And, okay, so, and then they, they got to go recapture the Gordon boys, which is not a big deal because the next scene, the stinger, and the stinger really drives home the fucking putrid moral of this awesome episode. The, the, just the black-hearted, 
evil moral is they've immediately captured the Gordon boys. And Andy's like, you know, you've uh, you've done your form of rehabilitation. Let me show you mine. And then they bring the Gordon boys into the house and the boys are like, oh, no, it's Bloody Mary. Oh, God, this is the rock. I've heard of this. And then they bring them in and Ampy is like, I've been waiting for you, boys. Get to work. And then uh, the whole so the whole moral of the story is that uh, you can't reform prisoners by teaching them skills because they'll use those skills to commit crimes. The only way you can reform prisoners is through labor, is by making them do unskilled labor for free at a private residence. At the sheriff's residence. Yeah, which is so unpleasant and miserable and punishing that they never want to go to jail again. So they're willing to change their entire lives. So that is the moral of the story of this episode that is brought to you by Milton's Prisons. That's right. When you think atrocity, think Milton. So, like, are they just going to have prison labor at Andy's house indefinitely now? Is that... that did oh. Andy just realize, like, is Opie never going to have to wash a dish ever again in his life? Because there's constantly going to be a fucking moonshiner cleaning some part of his house. Also, this is probably, like, these two episodes together are probably the most illegal. Uh, but this one is, like, this This knocks out uh, Andy the matchmaker as the most illegal because this is bonkers illegal. This is fucking slavery. Yeah, this is fucking slavery. Because it would be one thing if they were just like, <laughs> prison right, slavery. This would be, it'd be one thing if it was just like, oh, Aunt B, without asking Andy, made Otis do labor, and it's Otis. He's not really like a real prisoner. He's just like a guy they hang out with, that they have kind of like a fun thing with. No! no they do it again! They set this up to be just like a regular occurrence. With real criminals who escaped from jail, and Andy had to fight to bring into jail with a shotgun he had to fucking fist fight them in a kick-ass action scene that I'm still mad I don't get to see and now they're using that to rehabilitate them so implying that they're going to keep doing this implying that it's the only way to rehabilitate people so it's like uh, remember that story that uh, that Hillary Clinton uh, like it came out like right after the election that Hillary Clinton was basically using prison labor as slaves at her house yes uh, it's like that but imagine that with less oversight somehow Imagine a less ethical version of that. Uh, yeah, so it's it's all the prison labor stories just wrapped up into a nice bow and made worse somehow. And also made incredible because this episode fucking rules. Yeah, so, I mean, let's go to straight to the ratings here. Um, I think for the first time, 10 on both. 10 on both! 10 on it's both! It's incredible! It's a Hall of Famer, Marty! It's next level, this shit! Are you kidding me? <laughs> 10 on both! It's so good! Hal Smith annihilates literally every scene, including scenes he's not even in! And also, it's disgusting! And there's literally a PowerPoint presentation on how the, mil- the prison industrial complex is great and your best friend! Oh, it's Mickey Mouse just going like, Hoo-ha! Don't you dare hope to make people better! Just punish them until they stop! Oh, Christ. Okay. You good? Yeah, I'm good. You good, bud? Oh, I love this episode so much. <laughs> this episode gave me everything so, I needed. So there you go, uh, listeners. For the, like, the first time, I think, just go and watch both of these episodes. They're both crazy. They both fucking rule. Uh, also, this is the end of Breaking Mayberry because me and Marty are both going to be shooting each other in the head after this. 
Uh, this is over. We're done. Before before we head out, I want to give a shout out to uh, our wonderful fans, Jack Royce and uh, Guts or Gutsy Cafe. They've been very wonderful to us on uh, on Twitter, and they created something that I'm so excited to share with you. Oh, oh God, we I, got plans. I, I have a just just. We don't have a teaser yet. We're not doing this episode, but probably next month, probably after the live show. Yeah. Uh, they've created something that we're turning into something else that I cannot wait to give you. But they also were nice enough to give us two wonderful reviews on uh, on Apple Podcasts. I'm going to read them. Here is – I'm, I'm, I'm going to read uh, Gutsy's first. In addition to the great and extremely funny podcast, the hosts are very cute. Has she met us? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh Breaking, but I, I, I mean, I'm I, excited. Accurate, I'm accurate. excited for this. We're fucking adorable. Breaking Mayberry is a review podcast about beloved 1960s show, The Andy Griffith Show. The podcast is much funnier and more entertaining than you'd expect from the premise. Yeah. I, that's the best we can hope for, really. Hosts Marty and Dan have great banter and chemistry as they discuss the show at its funniest, most boring, and at mo- times most morally horrifying, especially from a modern standpoint. On occasion, they invite guests to the show, which are equally entertaining, and provide insight from their individual knowledge bases. I don't have to lot to sit more to say other than it's a really fun podcast I look forward to with every update. Thank you, Guts. And this j- one establishes a very important thing, which is uh we're adorable and if you don't have a crush on us as a listener, you should. Oh, do you think do you think that our listeners have arguments about like being Team Marty or Team Dan? I I hope so. I really hope so. And if um guys, it would really help me out if like if you don't have those arguments, if you don't like have to actually believe just, just have a few and and honestly like you heard I, you heard dan earlier he can't wear a tank top so i will gladly <laughs> yeah, give I, up a few votes this has just been like a powerpoint presentation on why my self-esteem is in the toilet job hunt's not going good <laughs> can't pull off a tank top uh if you could just be on team dan i'd appreciate it a lot guys and then jack royce uh who also is responsible for our spinoff series on patreon the stanford anime experiment <laughs> Wherein J- uh, Dan and Jack Royce torture me with anime. Also, uh, it doesn't exclusively have to be Jack Royce. If you have a submission for anime that you want Marty to be forced to watch, uh, ideally wouldn't be super violent since he doesn't feel like he can really like talk about that that much. Also, don't go super sexual because we kind of like – we can only do that so much before it gets creepy. Uh, loud, incoherent, upsetting. Uh, make Marty watch bad anime and then listen to it on Patreon. Uh, so, so Jack Jack wrote, I made them watch an anime once. Yeah. And multiple times. The only criticism I and any other right-thinking consumer of podcasts could possibly level against this desperate yet thorough attempt to root out the structural cause of boomer brainworms by examining the media they consume is that the hosts, Marty and Dan, should be far more confident in how listenable the two of them are just talking about anything, no matter how off-topic it gets. Jack, this is entirely one sentence. <laughs> this, this entire review is one sentence. Uh, I appreciate. We, we inspire that level of of passion that that you can't use fucking punctuation. <laughs> I appreciate that, Jack. I appreciate that, but I'm full. I'm foreseeing like a future where we just have an entire episode where it's just us talking about like John Cusack movies, <laughs> and we never ever get to. Oh, I got some opinions about Cuse. Kidding <laughs> we, me? We never ever get to the oh, Andy Griffith show, and it is about better off it is dead. unlistenable, and Jack Royce is loving it. I mean, this episode was basically made for Jack Royce because this is like 40% tangent. We've been here two fucking hours. 
<laughs> Two and a half hours. Anyway, um, thank you, Jack and, and Guts. Uh, we really appreciate it. You know, if, listeners, if you want to join Jack and Guts in the Helped Out Breaking Mayberry Club, you can go on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast of Your Choice and give us a rating and or review. It's wonderful, and we love it, and we'll give you a shout-out. Thank you. It we appreciate it. It makes our very, very humble lives. It really, like, we, we read over them and, like, like recite them to each other. And if you uh, if you want to get access to the bonus content, including me being tortured with anime, that's at patreon.com slash Breaking Mayberry. Guys, if uh, one more person subscribes to the Patreon, and Marty will let me continue the Stanford anime experiment, and the next one is fucking awesome, and we have plans for, like, the next couple, and he hates it so much, and it's really funny, please, just, we just need, like, one more person to subscribe to the Patreon, and then I can keep doing this thing. Otherwise, we gotta, go like, watch Walker, Texas Ranger again. Also good, but it doesn't cause Marty physical harm. Uh, all right. So other than that, you all know the drill. Okay. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at break Mayberry on Twitter. I personally am at Schneid remarks. That is S C H N E I D remarks. Uh, it looks like I'm at the Luds two D's. That, yeah, that seems to be like that, that tracks. That's yeah. what I've heard. Yeah. All right, yeah. Cool. And, uh, the music that you heard at the beginning, that was Max Ludwig. Uh, the music you're about to hear is, uh, Appalachian tr- coal mines by the band ask again. I've done this a, num- a number of times. Uh, we're a little drunk at this point, guys. Uh, yeah. That's really about it. Uh, go watch those episodes. Once again, July 20th, Philadelphia Podcast Festival. Come join us at the uh, Podcast and Pancakes Brunch. Please. Uh, other than that, we'll see you all down at the fishing hole. Yeah, I'll come back now. Yeah.